Hello and welcome to another episode of Worked Up, the podcast where you learn to navigate the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst. I'm your host, Jacqueline Beck, and we are in part two of our conversation with Steve Autry. If you weren't able to catch part one, I highly recommend that you do. By way of background, Steve is the senior managing partner at the Nova Consulting Group. Nova is an innovative learning and development practice that optimizes human potential. On a personal level, Steve is a mentor to me. I've had the great fortune of meeting him through my coaching learning journey. And like I said on last podcast, I've gotten the Steve Autry crash course in conversation and persuasion. And he has been incredibly generous with his time with me and is being generous in providing you a lot of that wonderful information via this podcast. So Steve, thank you so much for joining us today and welcome to Worked Up. Thank you, Jacqueline. It's great to be here. You too. In case you didn't miss, or in case you didn't catch the last episode, it was all based on communication. And if you've been around this podcast for a little bit, you know that the basis of my philosophy is clarity and communication, and that relationships are at the center of all business. And so these two conversations are really critical, in my opinion, in navigating the workplace, business, and your career with a little more ease and a lot less angst, right? There's a reason there's that tagline. And so just to review a little bit of what we spoke about, we really digged into the concept of building understanding in a conversation. Words mean different things to different people. Tone is incredibly important in a conversation. It's where people reveal their emotions and their body language, even the micro ticks on their face, can demonstrate a lot of their thoughts to us and the way they think or feel about a particular situation. And it's when those three things are not in alignment that we want to get very curious. All roads lead to curiosity, which means ask questions ask for confirmation, make sure that you're interpreting what someone is saying in the way that they intend it to be interpreted. Make sure the other person is interpreting what you're saying in the way you intend it to be interpreted. We also learned a lot about how people not only process information, but how they reveal information. And they reveal it like an onion in layers. That first layer is facts, publicly available information. That second layer is opinions. How do people think about a certain situation or set of facts? And that last layer, that deepest layer is emotion. And that's really where people ultimately make decisions and where we want to get to. And why that is so important today is because we are talking about persuasion. And I personally find this to be such a fascinating topic because whether or not we're aware of it, we are persuading and negotiating on a daily basis. I have a toddler. My day is basically all persuading with him. Uh, It's at work persuading with people. 
interacting and navigating situations, spouses, friends, parents, you name it. In a lot of ways, we're in a constant state of persuasion. So with all of this in mind, Steve, before we dig into that as a concept, do you mind sharing a little bit about your background with the listeners? Sure. Um, so happy to be here, Jacqueline, and to uh, spend time with you and, and your audience. Um, I came to Nova Consulting after a long career in, uh, in uh, leadership and sales roles. Uh, after I left the Air Force, my first stop was at Procter & Gamble. And um, there I was a sales, uh, started out in sales, and I uh, rose to the ranks and went off to work for companies like uh, Grand Met USA, which is at the time they owned Pillsbury. And um, so had that kind of long career in corporate America. But after leaving uh, those organizations, I went on to be a part of four startups. So I've kind of seen the two ends of the business spectrum, large multinational corporate organizations and startups where every morning we turn the lights on and we hope they turned on. Um, and along the way, I picked up um, a lot of concepts that um, we use today in Nova Consulting. And back in 2010, I had the opportunity to join two of my partners in creating uh, the practice that we have now. And um, it is all about understanding and real helping others realize their full potential. That's great. Thank you. And if we think about conversations at, with the goal of building understanding, so much of persuasion really has the goal underpinning it of building trust. So Steve, where do we start on this topic of persuasion? So it actually is something we do naturally as humans. So let's start with that. And there's a great book out on the market called to Sell as Human by mm. Dan Pink. And he talks about the fact that just like you as a mom negotiating and persuading your toddler, we all do that. Um, we do that on a daily basis when we're trying to move others to our ideas or have them move us to their ideas. So we, it comes by us naturally. Mm. Um, and it's not something that, um, it's really not something that's foreign to us. So much of the so much of the literature that you find on the bookshelves, how to persuade, it makes it almost sound like it's foreign. It's really mm -hmm. not. It's very much who we are as humans. Well, you know, this comes up in the workplace. You know, first it comes to mind, oh, you're a salesperson. Oh, you're selling some type of product. I come from the finance world. You're selling a fund, right? And for a lot of people, there's this idea that selling is icky. It's dirty. So how do you suggest looking at the art of persuasion? So first of all, we understand that we all do it. So if whether it be I sell a product, service, or an idea, um, we all do it. So it's it's natural to us. But in the sales dyad where you have a buyer buyer seller relationship there is a level of tension mm. the buyer knows that you're there to sell them something and the seller 
knows that they're there to try to get the buyer to buy something. So there's there is a natural tension to that relationship, and it's it's artificial, but you'll find it in the workplace um, when you're trying to sell an idea or trying to sell yourself um, on a you know trying to get promoted, whatever. So there there can be tension. Um, so how do you get to the question is how do I get to the point where I can persuade? Mm. And it's not persuasion is not something immediate. Persuasion has has a pathway. It has a journey. And the pathway or the journey is what we call a trust journey. Mm. And there's actually we've actually created a model for that. And it starts with a lot of the concepts we start we talked about in your last podcast. It starts with listening, listening to understand and really trying to empty your, your mind, quiet your chatter brain, dial into the other person, know that you're communicating with tone and with word and with body movement, being really curious about what does that word mean for that person? That's that deep listening to understand goes beyond the parlor room active listening mm. to really dialing into that other person. From that deep listening experience, you start to see the other person's worldview. And you could give that another name, empathy. You start to empathize with them. You start to see the world as they see it. And the power of that comes out when you confirm what you think you're hearing. So if you're checking in with the other person during the conversation and you're saying, Hey, I just want to check in. Is this what you're saying? I think this is what you're saying, whatever the words are for you, but you're checking back in with the other person to clarify your understanding. You right there are laying down the first cornerstones of trust building Mm. because you're indicating the other person that I hear you, you matter. Your words matter. Understanding what you say matters. And I'm actually so interested in understanding your worldview. I'm going to clarify my understanding of it to the point to where after a period of time, you do start to begin to see how the person sees the world and you confirm that with them. And that's really the second step towards getting to the point where you can persuade somebody. So it starts with that listening to understand. It helps you build the picture so you can empathize with the person. Now you're able to build a connection. You have a, you start to develop a relationship and that loop of listening to understand and clarifying how they see the world. And it's going on on the other person's side too. They're trying to listen to understand They're trying to empathize. So now you have a relationship. Mm. You have a connection. That is the third step towards persuasion. Mm -hmm. It's actually this, it's, it's, it's actually the step before you get to persuasion. Okay. You've built trust through listening. You've built trust by empathizing. You've built trust through your connection. Now you start to get invited to persuade. Mm. And what I mean by that is the really ugly truth about persuasion is it's not external. I can't persuade you to do anything. 
Persuasion is all about me changing my perceptions, my viewpoints. And through a conversation that builds on trust, which is what you've done, essentially, you've, you've actively listened to understand, you, you've been able to see the person's world as they see it, and you're cre- you've created this strong, durable connection. That's all trust. And that building of trust, those first three steps in the trust process gets you invited to ethically persuade. And what I mean by ethically persuade is once you get let in, once somebody says, I'm willing to change my perspective, that's when you could actually move into manipulation. If you, you, you know, you've heard stories about somebody trusting somebody and then, you know, they, they use that trust against them. That's kind of the example that I'm thinking about, right? Or if I'm getting a situation where I've, where I've gone through the three steps and now you trust me and now I use that to get what I want in an unethical way, like try to coerce you, try to uh, put you in a corner like, oh, Jacqueline, you said this and now you're going against that. That's a manipulative tactic, mm. uh, getting you to commit to something and then holding you to that. Um, as opposed to ethically persuading, knowing that I now have been invited to change your perspective. And so I want to be careful with that. Mm-hmm. I want to be aware that there are human biases that I can push on to uh, use in an unethical way. Um, we spend a lot of time smiling when we're trying to persuade. <laughs> Why do we do that? There's actually a bias. Uh, Robert Cialdini, who is the uh, king of all uh, influence and un- our understanding of that, talks, it, talks about it as the likability bias. Mm. bias. And so we all, we work to be like, so we smile, right? And, and so you want to be careful with that. It has to be genuine. Yeah. Um, the other person will pick up on it if it's not genuine. So you're really not fooling anybody. But um, a lot of the, um, a lot of the outdated sales methodologies are built on this idea that I can persuade somebody to do something that they actually don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you hear tactics like um, emphasize the pain. Um, Produce a level of artificial scarcity, like, oh, buy now because they're not going to be there very long. Um, these are all things that you can do to manipulate people as opposed to um, as opposed to completely understanding how they see the world and then offering up different points of view and getting them to change their perspective. Well, they're the only ones that are going to change their perspective. And. I find that to be so fascinating because I think at a very elementary level, when we think of selling, it's human nature to think of it as trying to impose your will on somebody else, which is why people feel a little icky about it, right? And that's what I love about your concept of ethical persuasion, because it's not about using these tricks and tactics and being manipulative. It's about building an understanding and a connection to lead toward trust so that it's less of a sales conversation, 
and more of a relationship where someone is acting as a trusted advisor. And in my own experience, having worked in situations where I have been on capital raising teams for real estate funds, those are the relationships that reaped the most benefits for me in my career. And so I completely see how, A, this is helpful in making people feel more comfortable and potentially confident in having a sales conversation. But I also see the effectiveness because I've seen it firsthand. And there's so much in what you just said that I would love to dig into. You know, you start with step one, listening to understand. Step two, understanding their worldview and empathizing. You used a phrase, people want to be understood. People want to be heard. And something I always like to say is people like to be seen, heard, and understood. And that's a basis of building trust. But this idea that you can't impose your will, this idea that you can't persuade someone else, you just need to give them information that shifts their perspective so that they change their opinion, so that they persuade themselves. How do you do that once you're invited in? It, it starts again. I mean, it's, it's that repeated cycle of how do they see the world? And um, it's, it, is not, it is not always a straightforward process. Okay. It, it, is, it, is, it is a process where you want to hear what they have to say, clarify what they have to say, and um, you can produce evidence, but it has to be evidence that they're willing to accept. Mm. So it's, it's not one of those, it's not a concept that, you know, if I tell you the sky is blue, but you believe the sky is not blue, it's what you believe. So I want to get curious, like, what? What is it about it? The hard truth about persuasion is that it's not 100%. You're not going to ever persuade. You might not ever persuade some people. Mm. Think of conspiracy, conspiracy theories. You know, they're out there and there are believers and they believe those things. Again, that's that perceptual reality we all live in. Mm -hmm. And you're not, you can produce as much evidence as you want, but the contrails coming out of the jet are still government spraying the population to control it. And so evidence producing, while it has some validity, it still has to be accepted by the other person. And so all of us, while we have that innate ability to persuade, you have to be comfortable with not every, within every situation that you want to persuade, you're going to persuade. And that's where people slip into manipulation. And that reminds me of something that we've learned in our accreditation process for coaching, which is that you have to release attachment to the outcome. It sounds very Buddhist in a lot of ways. But yeah, let go of the outcome to get the outcome. Exactly, exactly. Exactly. And so what I hear you saying is you can only do what you can do. But at the end of the day, the other person has their own set of perceptions, has their own set of beliefs, has their own psychology. And despite building understanding, despite building trust, you may never get them to change their mind. 
And that's just a truth of persuasion, a truth of sales, and a fact of the industry. That's correct. And so your tools to guard against that is to just have a fuller pipeline. <laughs> not everybody's going to see it your way. Yeah. And there are going to be hurdles. And, they're go- and so you have to make the choice. If you, if you accept the fact that I don't, don't control what you think, say, and do, mm-hmm. that you're going to have to change your perspective to see it the way I do, um, it's not going to happen every time, even though it might be the best thing for them. If, if, again, think you don't control what they think, say, and do. If they say no, then you have to be good with that. You have to be good with that and let it go and move on. For salespeople, which you were one for a long time, for salespeople whose compensation or metrics are reliant on how much business they bring in the door, I imagine that could be a very difficult concept to grasp because your livelihood in so many ways are tied to your production. So how do you recommend that salespeople reconcile that dissonance? So I think it's, look, there's, there's, there's kind of a yes, no to this. Mm -hmm. So all of us at the early stages of a sales cycle, we're all concerned about, is this a qualified buyer? And I think that that process goes on throughout the sales cycle. Are they a qualified buyer? Are they qualified? And you want to always be checking in on that. Um, And the other part is a recognition that not everybody you talk to is going to be a qualified buyer. Mm -hmm. I mean, we see that a lot in our work where, oh, I I just need this one more thing. I just need to get this one more thing. Or we'll see deals that are stuck in the pipeline and they've been there forever. Mm-hmm. And there's this hope, this kind of aspirational hope, like I just need to do one more thing. There's a reality that says that within the confines of the time you have to close business, this might not work. Mm-hmm. So rather than put it in there and keep it in there, just let it go and go on to the next one. And sales is always about you don't get holidays. You don't get revenue holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, the numbers are the numbers. And so it's up to you to control your activities. That's, what, that's one of the things you control 100% of your activities. Have enough of those activities to where you have a healthy pipeline that allows for those folks that maybe aren't ready, maybe that, don't, that, that aren't persuadable. Mm-hmm that aren't willing to shift their perspective. And I'm not saying that you, you give up willingly. What I am saying is that you have a process that you take your qualification through. And if you keep bumping up and getting the same signals that say, just not going to get it done within the time frame it needs to get done in, mm-hmm. I need to put that one aside and go on to the next one. So it's an awareness. It's throughout the cycle. Um, if I discard the ones that aren't persuadable within the time frame that they need to be persuaded, the, the earlier I know that, the better. So let go and go, go to the next one. How can someone pick up on whether a prospect is a qualified buyer or whether they're persuadable? Um, 
I would say you want to check for growth mindset. Mm. Are they are they open to new ideas? Uh, many many folks that you'll you'll come in contact with will be growth mindset. They are open to new ideas, um, but uh, you want to test that. You know, in your in your early conversations, how resistant are they to change? Um, it's a really interesting concept. Change. We as humans actually don't like change. Um, change is very scary to us. There's actually a bias called the status quo bias, which keeps us in the current state. And the reason change is scary is because of the uncertainty. We don't know. So I'm comfortable doing what I'm doing now. Might not be the best way, but I'm, it's my way. It's my chaos. I'm doing it my way. You're coming in and saying, oh, there's pain. I don't feel the pain. There's no pain here. So you just you 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 have to be careful on how they see the world and and then just understanding, you know, where are they? You know, and have them um yeah. Practice those listening skills. Like, what do you mean by that? Um, what does that mean for you? And are they open to new ideas? How do they see the world? Are they spenders? Are they savers? Are they growth mindset? Are they trying to mitigate a loss? I imagine that the the limiting belief, for lack of a better term, that salespeople will need to navigate and manage is, oh, they're not seeing it my way. Oh my gosh. It creates the sense of urgency. It creates a sense of fear oh, I need them to do this. My deadline is December 31st and it's December 15th and I want them to do that, which creates a lot of what I think you refer to as internal chatter. And I also imagine that is when people are at the potential of slipping into some of these more manipulative type of processes, which neither you nor I advocate for. We're all about building understanding and building trust. So how do you recommend that people get past that self-imposed fear, sense of urgency, uh, need for results? So you never want to show up needy. Needy leaks out. A needy salesperson is, you can detect that when they walk in the door. and. Um, some of the earmarkers of needy are this over-reliance on things like likable likability bias. Um, let me try to let me try to artificially create the relationship before I've spent the time um, talking without listening. So those are some of the earmarkers that we pick up. So how do you best prepare against that? I would say that the one tool that we try to abdicate for is to pre-plan your conversation before you even go in and to understand the arc of that conversation. So you literally, you sit down and um, you lay out what you want that conversation to accomplish. So should, you should have a goal in mind um, and then focus, you know, what information do you want to get? And then how do you want to go get it? So. Let's just say you want to go in and you want to, this is your first meeting and you want to understand, 
are they willing to change what they're doing now? So that's my goal. I want to see if I can get them to commit to making a change or commit not to making a change. Mm. So that's my goal. So what information do I need to support getting that commitment to change? And then how do I want to go get it? And if you construct your conversation with that goal in mind, what information do I need? How do I, how do I want to go get it? And then you play it out, literally role play it with somebody. You have pre-planned that conversation. And that's not to say that that conversation is going to go the same way you planned it. It probably won't. 10 times out of 10, it'll take its own direction. But what's happened is you anchored the concepts in your head. Like, this is the information I want to get. This is how I want to get it. I'm going to use a question here. I'm going to paraphrase there. I'm going to mimic there. I'm going to, uh-huh, here. Mm-hmm. And so you've already got these concepts in your head. So when the conversation takes off, you can use those. You can use that planning to calm you. You should also, before you go into any conversation, be it a sales conversation or a conversation with your boss, try to clear your head. Try to settle yourself. Try mm-hmm. to be present. And know that any energy you bring into that room is going to leak out. So if it's nervous energy, it's going to leak out. Well, that's interesting because before we started recording, I did my own version of that, which was my deep breath. And I tend to do that before I start recording. Get out of the outside space and come into the recording studio. And this is a bit tongue in cheek, but when you're talking about don't show up needy, in a lot of ways, I'm reminded of dating, right? On a first date, people can smell neediness 10 miles away. It's the same thing with sales. But I think that manifests in so many different ways in the workplace too, whether you're trying to change jobs internally or find a new job, if you're interviewing for a new corporation or a new company, uh, if you are you know, trying to work your way up the hierarchical corporate ladder and get a promotion, those same concepts apply to all of those various situations really, really elegantly. And you bring up the concept of role play, which I love. Because one thing I always recommend to capital raisers or to salespeople is to practice. And it's great to practice with other people, whether it be a colleague or a trusted advisor or a coach, whoever it is, because that conversation can go in so many different directions. And I personally, this is my opinion, I personally find a mistake that so many people make when they're trying to sell, when they're trying to persuade, is they run into their pitch. They say, oh, how are you doing? I'm great. Wonderful. Well, let me tell you about this great new product I have and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And it becomes this song of da- and dance where, A, people zone out. They don't absorb what you're saying. B, they don't care about what you're saying. And C, They don't feel seen, heard, and understood, which what we've talked about is the basis of that understanding, but also that trust, which leads you to be invited in to potentially persuade 
and give new information, give new perspectives so that maybe this other person changes their mindset, changes the way they see the world, and then ultimately decides to either buy your product or whatever the outcome may be. So let me, let me ask you this, Steve. Um, as we wind down, I have two more questions for you. The first is, you know, I've come, I come from the finance world. I used to do capital raising for, for funds. And so often performance is a key indicator of whether or not a product sells. Mm-hmm. And that's dependent on a lot of things. It's dependent on the market, a lot of things outside our control. So how do you recommend to capital raisers or salespeople who have a product that's underperforming the market or underperforming the competition? How do you recommend that they effectively raise capital? So me personally, if you're sitting in front of me, I would say ethics first. So it's probably no excuse or or it's probably not new news that whatever you have maybe isn't doing as well. So I would say rather than try to explain that away, acknowledge it, Mm. you know, a level of ethics and that, that forthrightness that, that, that's, that's a trust builder. I mean, throughout, throughout these conversations, the glue, the currency of any sales cycle is trust. Mm. So to acknowledge somewhere in your conversation to say, look, this is not performing well, or this may not be performing, however you want to phrase, and then provide evidence that says this, why am I here? What's, what, why do I think it's a good idea for you? rather than try to manipulate or hide the fact that it's not doing well. So I'm probably not the best when it comes to what can we say to get them to buy? That's not me. Right. You know, so, so I would rather choose the harder path, the ethical path that says that, no, let's just acknowledge what it is. Let's, again, we live in a perceptual reality. Let's see what they have to say about it. Maybe they perceive it not as bad as we, we do. Mm. But at least we'll put the we'll put the truth on the table, and then we'll address the truth. And um, that's not always easy. And they're not always businesses will like Steve just leave because that's not what we want to hear. We've got it. We've got a product that's not doing well, and we need someone who can sell it. That's not me. I can't do that. Mm. Well, and I'm reminded of our earlier conversation about how only 7% of communication is words and the rest is tone and body language. And I do think it comes across very clearly if a salesperson does not believe in their product. They could be saying all the right things. They could be putting on the right tone and going into performer mode. But there's always those micro movements in the furrowing of their brow or the way they, they wince on a word or something like that. That's a dead giveaway that they don't necessarily believe in what they're saying. And that lack of authenticity when those things aren't aligned is contrary to the entire goal of everything we've spoken about today, which really comes down to building trust. Yes. So my next question, Steve is, and this is your second 
chance of answering the same question, which is great. <laughs> what do you know now that you wish you knew then? Oh my gosh. Everything. <laughs> if I knew everything that I know now, then I'd have it. Well, I don't think omniscience uh, is on the table. I'm sorry. Omnis- I don't think, I don't think that's on the table to know everything. <laughs> um, I mean, my first answer is probably the one answer that, that if I just knew how to listen and how to connect and really work to understand uh, the other person's point of view, I work from the perception that, no, it's, 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 it's the dress, it's blue. Mm-hmm. I wasn't aware that there were other perceptions out there and, and I wasn't interested. So I was a bit closed minded. Okay. So, um, you know, an active growth mindset, a curious growth mindset. Um, and you couple that with the tool of listening, listening to understand um, and trying to see the other person's uh, point of view and the nuance of speaking their language. I mean, that's really important as you're trying to empathetically connect with somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and that growth versus fixed mindset is so interesting. Because if you're able to shift to growth, inevitably, you're going to be more proactive. You're going to be more curious. You're going to learn more and you're going to become better for it. So never stop learning. Never stop learning. All roads lead back to curiosity. Uh, well, Steve, this has been a fascinating and wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I, I hope to have you back on the podcast again, because you are just such a wealth of information and so generous with your time and knowledge uh, to me and now to all of our listeners. So thank you so much um, for joining us. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on another episode of Worked Up. Look out for new episodes on Tuesdays. We always have exciting guests coming down the way. And please don't forget to subscribe, like, and leave reviews. Connect with us on Instagram at Jacqueline Beck Consulting or on our website, www.jacquelinebeckconsulting.com. See you next time.